Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you that it is strong and powerful. Thank you that it is enough, that it's everything, that you wrote it from the beginning and you gave us this. And so we thank you for each word that we receive today. We pray that your spirit would illuminate it for us, that we would understand well what you have for us today. Thank you for Ryan, for his preparation, for his knowledge, and for his willingness to serve in this capacity. And so pray for him today that you would fill him and speak through him. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is our, uh, this is our last uh, installment uh, of one of 12 out of our Ten Commandments series. We took a couple of Sundays to set up the series just so that we had a correct understanding of the law of God and its purpose in the life of Christians. Uh, and, and so I just want to remind you what we've been saying all along with this series is, is that, um, that it's really about the demands of the law the fulfillment of the law, and the responsibility of the law. And so let me just unpack that real quick before we delve into this. If, if we fail to let the demands of the law take a full effect on our life, uh, what, what happens is that we, we, we cheat ourselves because we see ourselves as maybe having something inside of us that's still able to please God without Jesus. And the, the problem with that is, is that it's not true. And so we've got to let the law of God have its full effect on our life, claiming those demands that we cannot fulfill. So today as we look at uh, the ninth commandment, we'll see uh, some areas in our lives where we'll be convicted that we can't keep it on our own. The, the second part is really about the fulfillment of the law. So if we fail to see Jesus Christ has fully um, met the, the righteous requirements of the law, and likewise by faith we do as well, we'll be at, if we fail to see that, we'll be in a constant state of despair. I don't know if you've ever been in those seasons where you just feel like, man, I'm just never enough. I just can't do it. Well, Jesus comes along, and he stands in our place, and he meets the righteous requirements of the law. And, and lastly, uh, we've got to see this responsibility of the law for Christians. Uh, if we fail to see, as Calvin said, the law as a schoolmaster, we will miss altogether how God desires to sanctify us. After all, Jesus is the righteous requirement of the law, and we are being conformed into his image day by day. That's what the Holy Spirit is coming to do. So if we're being conformed into something against the Ten Commandments, we're not being conformed into the image of Jesus. That's kind of what he's saying there. So, uh, so with that in mind, um, we're going to delve into this ninth command together. So, so since we've started New City, uh, I've always made it a practice to keep a lawyer in my discipleship group. You know, I think it's because I'm such a lawbreaker at, at heart, and, uh, you know, I think the thought is maybe these guys will keep me out of jail. And then, um, and then I brought Gordon Johnston into my group, and I second-guessed the whole thing. <laughs> if you don't know Gordon, he is, he is a riot. He is a great guy. But anyway, uh, so after Gordon got out, I quickly brought Sam back in, who is also a, an attorney, into my group uh, to keep the, the train rolling. And Sam told our discipleship group a story that I just thought was so fitting for the sermon today. At the firm he was at before he moved here to Atlanta, he had a mentor, and that mentor uh, was giving him some tips on, on how to uh, meet with the recruiter to find another uh, gig here in Atlanta. And, uh, and, 
And here's how I picture it. I don't know if this is right, Sam, if you're in here or not, but I picture Sam with kind of a legal pad, just kind of jotting down, like, ready for, like, the, the magic bullet of how to get a job, right? And uh, the, the first thing that the guy says to him is this, Sam, you are excessively honest. Think about that, though. That, in, in this guy's mind, Sam's honesty could be a career-limiting move as an attorney. That's the world we live in today. I don't know, maybe I'm projecting on the guy. I don't want to do that. But, you know, that's how I kind of interpret it and Sam kind of interpreted it as well as this idea of an excessive honesty could be a problem. It says something about us as people uh, when honesty could be perceived as a career-limiting move. So this week's command, I want to read it for you again because uh, I think sometimes we twist what this command actually says. We're tempted to truncate this command to say this, you shall not lie. However, that's not what it says. Let me read it for you again. It says this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, lying is implied with that, but this command is about so much more than just not lying. Uh, So lying's implied, but false witness and neighbor are the operative terms here for the command. And what it shows us is that God's primary concern with the, with, uh, with the damage of what a false witness is, is how it affects our union with him and with one another. And we see that in Ephesians 4 as well. So, so in this command, our Lord is not only concerned about the offense, he's concerned primarily with the relationship and what the offense does to those relationships. So the, the Lord is, command, is commanding us to think about our relationships, get this, more than we think about ourselves as we live in community with one another another. Jesus kind of teases this out a little bit more in Matthew chapter 5. If you haven't noticed, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of an expansion of the Ten Commandments to a far deeper and wider place than we would take them on our own. And Jesus says this really about this command here. In uh, Matthew 5, 33 through 37, he says this, again, you've heard it, uh, you, you've heard that it is said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely or bear false witness, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head. You cannot make your hair white or black. And then the the, the kicker is this. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. In other words, Jesus comes and he he transforms this command in our lives and in our hearts with a much bigger desire for us than we have for ourselves. Because we're tempted to truncate it, okay, I didn't lie, okay, I'm in good shape. But his desire is much bigger than this. His spirit uh, in us calls us to something so much more than just not lying. It calls us to integrity. So what's integrity? Integrity means completeness. When you you look at the word in in the Greek and This idea of integrity uh, means to be the same throughout, so to be thoroughly the same. And when you think about integrity, Jesus is calling us up to this standard where we ought not to even have to think about whether this is truth or lie. And and the way that we do that is we we don't say like my friend Justin did growing up behind every, literally everything that he said. Ryan, this ice cream is vanilla and it's white, I promise. He would just say, I promise after everything because he was so untrustworthy. Now, he's a great guy, and I would tell him that to his face today, but he was hard to believe. 
anything that he said was hard to believe, so he'd always say, I promise. Now, God's desire for us, according to this command, is to be so free in him to speak the truth because his love has casted out the fear of the lies. Now, that's, that, that's calling us to something bigger. When we think, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the truth no matter what the cost is because that's what God has created me to do. First John expands on, John expands on this a little bit in First John. He says this, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, listen to this, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. So John is, John is saying that, that whenever we say one thing and we do another, that we can't claim that God's love is in us. And he calls us a liar. And in another place in 1 John, he says if we say that we don't have any sin, we're liars. Right? But what he's saying is that as we live in light of the truth, as, as we live in light of that, the love of God is perfected in our lives. Meaning that it is coming in ever-increasing manner to change us more and more into the image of Jesus. The more that we live in light of the truth of who God is. And that brings me to the big idea of what we really want to aim at today with this sermon. We could go a lot of different directions, but here's where I'm feeling uh, the Lord taking us for today. It's this. God's love for us in Jesus is so deep that we can afford to be honest with ourselves and one another at all costs. Let me say that again. God's love for us in Jesus is so deep that we can afford to be honest with ourselves and others at all costs. So I, I have a few things I just want to say about that. Uh, the, the first one as we dig in is, is this idea of really where the heart of lying comes from. Like when we tell untruths or incomplete truths or partial truths, where do those actually come from? The scriptures tell us in, uh, in John chapter 8 where they come from, and that's our first point. Lying reveals that we are in bondage to Satan. Lying reveals we're in bondage to Satan. If you've got a Bible, open up to John chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be in verse 44 here. And in John 8, Jesus, Jesus is showing uh, the Jewish people that are, that are trying to, they're, they're trying to kind of level up with Jesus, saying that he's really not who he says he is. And they're, they're trying to kind of say, you know, no, we believe in God. We believe in Abraham too. And Jesus is saying, okay, then, then why, why are you proving with your life that you're from your father, the devil, is what he says. And so John eight forty four expands on that idea. And it's this. He says this, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires, little f father. Uh, he, was, he was a murderer from the beginning, so he takes him back to the garden and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So that tells us about the intent of the enemy in this world. But what it also tells us is where a lie comes from, that it, that it comes from some type of a brokenness in our own character. It reveals something about our hearts when we delve into lying or t saying something that's, that's not true. That, that, there are, that there are parts of our hearts and our minds that are still broken and do not trust the truth of the gospel for our sin. That, that's what happens when we lie. That, that, that the cost of, of integrity is far more than we're willing to pay in those moments. So how did sin enter the world? John takes us back there. It 
it, it entered the world through a, a partial truth. Do you know what a partial truth is called? It's called a lie, right? So Satan uh, tells a, a partial truth to Adam and Eve, and they, they, he tells them just enough that, that their minds will begin to wrap uh, their, their, their minds around this idea and then to grab onto it, and then he sets the hook. And he's got them hook, line, and sinker to lure them away. But, but lying is also about misleading people with our words, about, about being untrustworthy kinds of people. And, and you, you have been, let me say this two ways, you have been that person and you have been around that person if you are a human being. <laughs> You've been an untrustworthy person. Now, God's grace may be working that out in you where it's not real obvious anymore, but, but that idea of someone that can't be trusted because you vacillate between what is true and what is false. So, so when, a, when a lie is, is told to us, as the concept plays out, it's always founded on a lie until truth uproots it and reveals it. Let me say that again. When a lie is told, everything built on that lie is built, is, is built on a lie. The, the foundation of the whole thing is a lie. And so the only way to then walk in the truth is to uproot the lie and let the light of the gospel shine in on it. Now, the, the longer that that whatever that thing is that you're believing or lying about, the longer that goes, the more lies you tell and the harder it is to repent, right? That's because one lie always takes another lie to cover it up. And so this is what we see John saying in John chapter 8 about what the enemy's done in the world. The whole thing is a shame. It's been built on a lie. And so, so let, me, let me just say this. We all have this tendency to lie. Some of us have lied this morning. We've lied to others and, and the, the thing that we don't even see sometimes is we lie to ourselves. We lie about who we are in Jesus. We lie about um, what God has come to do in our lives, and, and we feel defeated. But, but Satan's desire for you is actually to be conformed not to the image of Jesus, but more and more to his image. And one of the ways that he does that is through when we take the bait of lying and, and producing a lie with our conscience and our mind and our mouths to be conformed more and more to, to his image. Now, when we lie, we're, we're under the influence of the enemy. That's what John 8 talks about. Now, that, that's scary because here's the deal. Uh, for, for most of us, maybe that means that, that we're believers, that we're just struggling along with this. But for some of us, it might mean that we're not believers. It might reveal that. And I don't know who that is and who that isn't. That's up to the Holy Spirit there. But, but if your life is, is a life that is untrustworthy, and you can figure out if this is you or not just by asking a good friend, like, hey, can you trust what I say? Um, and that's a, that's a heavy question, but, but, but if you're an untrustworthy person, you, you really have to take that to the Lord and say, hey, do I really believe in Jesus? Do I really believe, as John 8 says, that the truth has set me free? Because if all that my life produces is lies, how has the truth set me free? And so what lying reveals is that, uh, that we're in bondage to the enemy to one degree or another. Uh, and I can't think of a lie that I've ever told that didn't have an eye in my, in, in my own life. It didn't have an eye towards self-protection. Trying to protect something, trying to protect a reputation, trying to protect assets, trying to protect some type of relationship. And it seems like in the moment that the easiest thing to do is just to cover it up, to not tell the truth in that moment. I, you know, I... <laughs> There, there, this, happened, uh, this has happened since then, but an, an idea that th this is really obvious to me recently was uh, uh, New Year's Eve 2017. We're in Indiana, okay? 
partying, having a good time, even got a bounce house out for the kids. It's a great time, right? Anytime the bounce house is out, you know you're there to party, right? So, uh, so the bounce house is out. We're having a great time. It's freezing cold. And, uh, and the dads uh, start, um, it wasn't enough to just bounce in the bounce house, okay? We needed to throw the kids into the bounce house, and that somehow made it better. And lo and behold, I threw Caden into the bounce house, and he comes out with an arm that looks like this. Ooh, yeah, ooh, somebody just lost your lunch appetite, yeah. So it wasn't a compound fracture, but guys, it's pretty bad. And so at the moment, I was kind of like, I was thinking every way that I possibly could to get myself off the hook. I was like, you know, our friend is a, our friend is a pharmacist. We were at their house, and I was like, maybe I, it's just dislocated. I'll just reset it. And so I grabbed his arm, and I was like, ah. She's like, don't do that. He needs to go to the ER. So we went to the ER, and I'm thinking, Caden is screaming bloody murder. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Okay, so, and I start going down this road of like, okay, so here's the story. Here's what happened, all right? <laughs> I'm like, Caden, you were jumping, and you fell. I was in the room. That's what happened here. That's all that happened. And so we're trying to play it up, and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I don't know if I could trust him to, to, to go along with this or not. It's going to come out. It's going to be really bad. And so in, a, in, in the moment, like, when we were just walking in, I was like, you know what, Caden, let's just, we're going to tell the full truth no matter what it costs us. Because, you know, what I'm thinking as a dad, I'm thinking, man, I might not, like, they might take him away from me. You know, they might, they might put me in handcuffs. And, and sure enough, he gets in, uh, gets under some anesthesia and is feeling a little bit better. And the doctor says, hey, Caden, what happened to your, to your arm? And, and, it's, and it's midnight on uh, New Year's Eve, okay. And, uh, and he says, my dad threw me and broke my arm. And I looked at the doctor, and I was like, take me in. You know, like, and they kind of laughed it off, and then defect. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but it was a real concern, right? Because in the moment, um, I, wanted, uh, I, I wanted the appearance of integrity without the cost of integrity, right? They, they probably could have called defects on me, and I probably could have been interviewed, and who knows what would have happened, you know? But, but that's what happens when we lie, is we lie because we want the appearance of integrity without the cost of integrity. Somehow we think that the blood of Jesus cannot cover what we're saying or what we're covering up. I mean, th- think about when, when you've lied in your life or you've been tempted to lie, you've been tempted to fabricate a story like, like your pastor has, and um, you think about things like this, maybe... Hey, this is the last time this will happen. I'll never have to do this again. I'll, I'll tell the truth next time. Or, you know, it was just a stressful season. It was just, that was kind of a one-off thing. There's no big deal. What, what behaviors do you justify when you're believing lies about yourself or others? What are those voices that you hear that are on repeat in your mind that you grab onto? Because God's Word says that we now have the power to resist the enemy by taking Thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 5 and 6. He says that we have divine power to take these thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. So in your life, what does it look like when the lie enters into your mind to take the thought and to make it obedient to Christ, to beat it into the Word of God to such a degree that it is no longer an appetizing thought for you to grab onto anymore? Because that's why Jesus Christ has come. The resurrection should be in our thought life as well, not just in eternity, right? God has come, and Jesus has, Jesus has come, God has sent Jesus 
for us to be able to take every thought that comes into our mind before it becomes a lie that comes out of our mouth or another sin that comes through our hands, whatever it is, to to take those thoughts and make them obey Jesus Christ. He's given us that type of power. Second thing is this, is that Jesus has submitted himself to liars so that the Father's love can be revealed for liars. The crucifixion was about a lie. Listen to what the scriptures say. He submitted himself to the cross based on lies. This is about nine verses out of Mark chapter 14. It's in a couple different accounts in the Gospels as well. It says this, Now chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. In other words, they were trying to figure out who they could get to, to say that Jesus needed to die, that he had sinned that bad. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony or their lies did not agree. Imagine that. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up, and in the the midst of uh, midst asked Jesus, why have you no answer to make? What is it that these men uh, are against you, testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Isaiah 53, like a... um, like a sheep silent before his shearers, right? That's what you see happening, playing out here. And the high priest asked him again, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And not only that, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy, What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Jesus died because of a lie. Do you know why Jesus died because of a lie? Because we were believing lies, and that's how we got ourselves into this, right? That's what happened. Jesus had to die because of a lie so that his righteousness might be imputed to us through faith. He died the same way that we died, right? Except he... We died, spiritually, we died justified in a, in a just way, but he died unjustly. The proclamation of the truth for Jesus cost him his life. And that's how the world is. Where truth is, instead of lies, gets death. Think about that. For Jesus, the plan was becoming clear on how he'd be used of his father to bring redemption to the world. And it was extremely costly. Lies were the... Lies put Jesus on the cross, and it had to happen. There was no other way around it. And so Jesus knows what it's like to be lied to. Jesus knows what it's like to pay the penalty of lies, even though you didn't lie. Jesus knows how all of that works. But it had to happen for us to be filled with his spirit, to to ultimately overcome the lies that we've believed and the lies that we've told. The third thing is this. The Holy Spirit fills us with the spirit of truth that drives out the lies. We only have the Holy Spirit because Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. We only have the spirit of truth because Jesus was murdered for lies. That's the only way we have it. The truest thing about you that you probably have a difficult time believing this morning is not the lies that you've told. That's difficult to face, right? When you think about those lies that you've told. Some of you are thinking about things that you've 
you, you told years ago, and you never repented for those things. Maybe God wants you to do something with that this week. I'm not sure. Actually, I am sure. <laughs> it's not the lies that we've told are the hardest things for us to confront, but it's the righteousness that you have in Jesus that's so hard to believe. When, you, when we think about ourselves and we think about the ways that we've blown it and really the mess that we've created ourselves, it's so difficult to believe that we can actually be declared righteous because of what Jesus has done. It's so hard for us to believe. And because it's so hard for us to believe, it's so hard for us to walk in the power of the Spirit, the Spirit of truth. But guess what? The cross outs us all. It shows us how painful the heart of lying is. And by faith, the love of Jesus is, is like an ocean that is so deep that the lies that we believe and tell, as bad as they are, don't even come close to hitting the bottom of the depth of his grace. Amen? They don't even come close. But the enemy wants to, to twist this lie into our mind that we could never be forgiven, that we could never be righteous, that we could never be whole, that we could never be perfect in his sight. But Jesus has come to pour his spirit into our hearts. That's what Romans 5 tells us. And what is that spirit? John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Romans 8, 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So what we see is this, is that the Holy Spirit is actually the only true witness of who God is in this world. He's the only one. He's the only witness of who God is through Jesus' word, through his life, shining a spotlight in, on him throughout all of history for what he's come to do in this world for lost sinners. He's the only true witness. But the miraculous thing about it is, is that you and I are now containers of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth in our beings. That we've been filled with all the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. All the truthfulness of God in Christ Jesus. That dispels and it casts out and it drives out all of the lies that we believe about ourselves and we tell to others. But lo and behold, you're in here this morning with me and we're in the same boat. We still fall into this temptation to lie. And we ask ourselves, where did that come from? Why am I still doing that? Don't I know better than that? The story that I'm about to tell you from Acts chapter 5 is a story about a theological diagnosis of a lying heart. It's about a couple believers that tell a lie. And I want you to pay attention. It's Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I want you to pay attention to how... Um, how Peter confronts them in the power of the Spirit, what he says about what's actually just happened. Here's what the Scripture said. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Now, let me give you some context. The church is absolutely blowing up. Pentecost has happened. 3,000 people saved. Everybody's living generously. They're sharing everything they've got. They're, they're, they're sharing life together multiple times a week. They're the family of God, and the Spirit is upon them. And then you turn to Acts chapter 5, and it's kind of like this. It's this moment of heaviness, right? And here's where it comes from. He, he sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, they teamed up on this, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, what you got to know about this is that Barnabas had done the same thing in Acts chapter 4. Barnabas had sold a piece of property, and what Barnabas did is that he gave all of the proceeds because he wanted to, out of, out of, out of his own heart, for the sake of the kingdom. 
to advance the kingdom of God. Now, Ananias and Sapphira have this piece of property, and, and they say, you know, basically, we want to look like we're giving all the proceeds without actually doing that. That's the problem. The problem isn't that they didn't give everything. The problem is, is that they wanted to appear like they gave everything without giving everything. It was an integrity issue. So here's what happens. Peter, Peter says this uh, to him, and he says, uh, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Wow. Didn't expect that one. He goes on to say this, while it remained unsold, did not it remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all. Now, I'm not going to let you know what happened three hours later, but his wife dies too, okay? So it's pretty heavy. It's a pretty heavy moment in the the life of the church here. But, but here's the kicker about this story. Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, they tell the lie, right? They, they, we want to appear to be generous, but we really don't want to be that generous, so we're going to keep back some, kind of. And they, want, they, they think that they're lying to the apostles, right? And this is the trick about a lie, right? Because we think that we're just lying to that person. But as people that are containers of the Holy Spirit, that we are filled with all the fullness of God as he lives inside of us through his spirit. We are not lying to other people. We are always lying to God when we lie. That's the kicker that Ananias didn't consider when he and his wife contrived this deed in their heart. And, And the way that Peter describes it under the power of the Holy Spirit is he says, Satan has filled your heart, brother. Like, like the, the Holy Spirit came to fill your heart, but you've let, through unbelief, you let Satan fill your heart. And this deed has come out of that heart. So wait, Ryan, you're, you're saying that everything that I say that's not true is actually like straight against God, not just against Phil. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what, that's what in fact, Paul will go on to say this in Ephesians 4. If you've got a Bible, flip over to Ephesians 4.25. And, and by the way, Ephesians 4 is basically a, another area where, where Paul, Jesus does it in the Sermon on the Mount, but in, in Ephesians 4, it's kind of a, a, a commentary on the Ten Commandments, what it looks like to live in the church, live those out. They're all over Ephesians 4. He says this uh, concerning this idea about uh, bearing false witness. He says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And why should we do that? Because we are members of one another. In other words... We're all part of the family of God because of the power of the Spirit. And then he goes on in verse 29 to say this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Don't tear each other down, he's saying. That's another form of bearing false witness when you do that. But only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion. That it may give grace to those who hear. That's what a true witness sounds like, to give grace to those who hear. In other words... When people hear what I have to say, they want to follow Jesus more. That's what giving grace to those who hear means. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't it amazing how much the Holy Spirit is involved with our lives? By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So this spirit spirit language is kind of mind-blowing to me. This is real fresh for me. He's saying that because we belong to one another, when we tell a lie, we're actually sinning against our own body. 
We're actually damaging the body of Christ. Now, whether that's to another believer or to someone who's not a believer, we're, it always causes impact in the body of Christ. And, and the way that he describes it is, is hard for me to comprehend. Okay, so Ananias and Sapphira were lying to the Holy Spirit. Paul says that when we, when we speak this way, that we're, get this, grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not, real, I'm not a real smart guy. I'm from Kentucky. You guys know that. But grieving, I think I know what grieving is to some degree, right? So, so what this is reiterating for us is the Holy Spirit is a person. It's the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is actually troubled when you and I lie. So what is a grieving person doing? They're weeping uncontrollably. They're troubled in their heart. They're grieved this is what happens when we lie to one another, when we fail to tell the whole truth about a situation or to ourselves, is that Jesus is so grieved in his heart because the Spirit is not living fully within us. I don't know about you, but it changes my perspective on the way that I use language, on the way that I speak to others, to know that it not only grieves myself and that person, but also the Holy Spirit. I think it shows us um, that we have such a little understanding of the intimacy that we were designed for with Jesus. But, but also on the other side of that, the pain that division causes God's heart. God's love for us in Jesus is so deep. It's, it's so deep that we can afford to be honest with ourselves and others at all costs. Lastly, I want you to see the beauty of what Jesus has come to do for liars like me and you, okay? Not only does he fill us with the Spirit, but he includes us in his mission. Last point here. The kingdom of God now advances through our true witness. So the only, we've said the only true witness is the Holy Spirit. Now God has come to put its true witness inside of us through faith. And what we have is this freedom to live honestly above all else. So, so the most natural work of the Holy Spirit in our life through what might seem like what Sam's friend said is excessive honesty, uh, is, is, to, is to live in light of who God is before the face of the world. Now, uh, what would it look like in your life if you no longer had anything to hide? I mean, the, the media makes their living, their bread and butter, on exposing people's lies, right? What if Christians just didn't have any lies to expose. I mean, there wouldn't be anything to report, right? It'd be crazy. They'd have to report, like, real news. It'd be wild. But, like, what if we were just so open and honest? And we call it vulnerability, transparency, call it whatever you want. But what if that was the norm for us because we walked in the power of the Holy Spirit? What if that was the norm for your marriage? What if that was the norm for your relationship with your employer? What if that was the norm in your relationship with your children? What if that was the norm? Because that's the freedom that God has given us to walk fully in the light. And the, I think the deepest way that he shows it to us is that arguably the witness of his work in the world is dependent upon liars propagating it throughout the world. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There's the Spirit again. And you will be my witnesses. You won't be false witnesses. You will be true witnesses. You will be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, all over the world, right? He's saying, you're going to be true witnesses. It's going to be your main goal, main purpose in life is to be true witnesses of the resurrected and reigning Jesus in the midst of a world that is filled with lies. That's going to be your main goal, witness. It's this interesting word, right? Uh, when, when you think about the word witness, uh, it means uh, to, to testify about the truth. Can you throw the slide up about the, kind of the definition here? So it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's a pers- per- person who witnesses and perhaps has been killed as a result. Um, a witnesses. Now, in the Greek, a couple hundred years into the life of the church, this, this word witness, the, the etymology of the word, how the word and the meaning of the word changed, to, this is the word that we use for martyr now. Witness. So false witnesses should be martyred. They should be, they should be killed, right? True witnesses, though, I mean, the Holy Spirit has done such a work that now we're willing to give up ourselves for the true witness. We have something worth dying for, is what the scriptures are teaching us here. This, this word for witness is the same word for martyr. Now, let me just say this. The invitation for us is to be true witnesses, true martyrs, to come and die for something worthy because of the truth. Now, it takes, when you think about this living on mission in your own life, it takes great courage to enter into a relationship and refuse to offer trite, self-help, anecdotal answers to complex issues. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, bless your heart, everything's going to be okay. You know, whatever it is, right? Our, 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 our gut level reaction is, let's just smooth this thing over. But what is happening in that person's life, nine times out of ten, is there's a cosmic uh, battle waging war in their heart. And they need to hear something more than it'll get better. They need to hear that through Jesus Christ, they can have life abundantly through his death and resurrection. To be witnesses martyrs for the sake of what Jesus has come to do in this world. He's included us in his mission, called us to participate. And because his, his love is so deep for us, he's invited us into the, the greatest level of intimacy, which is his work in the world. So we started today talking about how we're all liars, and we end up being filled with the true witness of the Holy Spirit and commissioned on his mission in this world. Now, as we kind of wrap up this series today, I want to I want to just say this: um, some of some of you are going to be eternally transformed through what we've discussed these last twelve weeks, and some of us um, we might forget it, right? We might keep walking in the darkness, whatever that area would be for you. And um, I just want to tell you this about jesus and it, and it really comes from a story that my friend kurt told about his wife this week um, that i want to share just briefly with you um and kurt uh uh is a is an actor and uh he's an amazing man and uh, about um about two years ago his adult son was killed in a um, motorcycle accident and then shortly after that his wife was diagnosed with parkinson's disease and they were on a trip uh to ireland uh last year and, um, you know, Parkinson's disease can do a lot of different things. And they were driving, it was a three-week trip, they were driving through the kind of the winding hills of Ireland, enjoying the, the, the sights and the scenery, and his wife looked over at him and she said, who are you? 
And so he pulls the, the car over and uh, he's trying to, trying to come to grips with what's just happened, that the, the disease has hit such a level where her memory is almost altogether gone. And, uh, and that night he's, he's, supposed to, he's supposed to perform in front of a, a group of students and uh, as he's there, he decides to call an audible and to just let the students into his life. So they start asking some questions, and they, they realize that this, this man, his narrative is kind of like Job, right? I mean, it's just thing after thing taken away. And, um, and this Irish woman prays over him, something that, that I probably won't ever forget. And um, she, she, she's praying over him. It's this real simple prayer. And she prays, um, our Lord knows what it's like to have a forgetful wife. Jesus knows what it's like for us to forget his gospel and the power that we have and the fullness that we contain. And he knows what it's like. So God's grace on us, New City Church, as we seek to live this out to a deeper level. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for this church. Thank you for the saints that are here. I pray that you'd help us to see ourselves as saints. I pray that you'd help us to remember the work that you've accomplished so that we can be saints. Pray that we'd feel the pain of the cross, but live in the benefits of the redemption that it secured for us even more, Lord. Lord, I pray for those in this room that have... Um, had some transformational moments in these last three months as we've looked at the Ten Commandments. And I pray, God, that uh, that work uh, would, would find its way to completion in Jesus in their lives, in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would keep us from the enemy, keep us from temptation. Keep us from conformity to his image, the father of lies, the accuser of the brethren. Because your word says that you've come to give life, and not only life, but abundant life. So Holy Spirit, come, fill us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.